Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, you guys here this morning? Hello, hello. Remember, we have uh, we've not come to a show, and uh, I am not performing uh, because if I did, well, let me just tell you, no, that we're here to experience what the Lord has for us, and so we engage in worship because we are the worshiping body of Christ. And then we come to the Word because we want the Word to teach us. So if you have a Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 4. This entire fall, we've been uh, working our way through the book of Colossians. And today is our last sermon uh, in the Colossians series. We're in the last chapter, and we're about to close that book uh, and jump on to Advent next Sunday. But before we talk about the last chapter, let's Let's remind ourselves what we've been studying. And what Paul said at the very beginning is that at the center of this whole thing that we're doing called church in our lives is Jesus. And in chapter one, it talks about this Jesus, that he is the image of the invisible God, that he is the one who created all things and holds all things together, that he is the high king of heaven and It also taught us that he makes peace between us and God by his blood that was shed on the cross and the power of his resurrection. And he talks about this magnificent Jesus and this magnificent work that he did 2,000 years ago. And then he brought it into the present and said, uh, I'm just going to use me, but you can use me when you talk about you. Uh, He goes, let's talk about what Jesus has done for me. That Jesus isn't, uh, he didn't come to teach me how to be a better person. In fact, I'm not sure that Jesus is really interested in improving me. Uh, That Jesus came to make me new. That he found me spiritually dead and he is making me spiritually alive through his work on the cross, the power of his resurrection and his ascension. So we've been kind of unpacking that. And if you remember back, we talked about since you are new, that's real about us, that that's our truest self, take off certain things and put on certain things. He says, now clothe yourself, but you got to unclothe before you can clothe, put down and then pick up. Then we started diving into the fact that if that's true about you, then uh, that's going to bleed into your home, that this redemptive reality of the spirit of God living in me is going to bleed into my relationships with my kids, my wife, Maybe your husband, uh, slaves, masters. I know, go back and read. That's, we talked about it last week. And this week, Paul is saying in his, in his last words, he's saying, uh, and if this is true, it leads us into the world. And that's where we're jumping off. And I'm about to give you a challenge. So I need to make sure. Do you have a pencil or a pen? Do you have something to write with? And do you have something to write on? If you have a bulletin, tear it into pieces and give it to the people around you. Uh, literally, yes, do that. Just make sure pe- people have it. And then let's go to Colossians chapter 4. Melissa, are you here this morning? Is Melissa here? She's not here. Okay. Our reader has the stomach bug. And we are so thankful that she stayed home from church. This is Colossians chapter 2, and uh, we're starting, or Colossians chapter 4, and we're starting in verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful. This is Paul writing this. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ 
for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Ticketus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your heart. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aratarchus, sends his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they've proven a comfort to me. Epaphras is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas sends greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and Nympha and the church in her house. Let's pray. Father, uh, boy, that's a lot of scripture. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come now and do what you do, which is breathe on the sparks of the reading of your word and burst it into flames. And meet us, change us. Lord, renew us to the truest um, us that you've made us to be. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So uh, how can we possibly get a sermon out of a whole list of names that if I asked you to repeat them right now, you probably couldn't do it. Uh, and, but I'm a preacher. That's what I do. I get sermons out of nothing. Trust me. <laughs> but there is something here. Actually, there's gold here. And uh, I'm going to give you a challenge because at the very beginning of this passage, Paul is challenging the readers, including us, to devote ourselves to prayer and to be watchful and thankful. And he's saying, pray for us. And he's, what he's saying is that he was in chains. He was in prison in Rome. In fact, he never got out of prison. He was put to death. And he's writing this letter saying, while I'm in my chains, my mission in life is to proclaim the mystery of Christ. And he's saying, would you guys please pray that I get more and more opportunities to do that? You're like, how does a guy in prison with chains... Well, we find out later that he leads a ton of guards to the Lord and wrote tons of letters. And so those letters are still being read and studied today. But then he did something interesting. He turned, I'm in chains, but I'm a man of mission to us. And he said, you're not in chains, but you're also a people of mission. And listen to what he said. He said, pray that I may proclaim it clearly. Uh, but then he says to us, be wise in the way that you will act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity for what? Like, what is it that I need an opportunity with the people in my life? Then he goes on to say, let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt. See, he's pointing to something that we find in Matthew chapter 5 is that when, when you're a Christian, when you are the church and you've stopped going to church, and I know some of you here may just be exploring this journey of Christianity, and I'm not 
listen carefully, but as believers, we know that something happened. We didn't just, as I said earlier, we didn't get just better. We got changed. And a part of that change is that we are the light of the world, that we're salt in this world, that God's plan for bringing his redemptive work into the city of Nashville is us. We're it. There, there's no angels coming over the horizon dressed like Gandalf, you know? We're it. Like, we're the, we're the salt that he put into this community. And he goes, if you know that you're salty, if you know that you're salty, then you're going to do what salt does. And we could spend, you know, a lot of time, what, what does salt do? Well, you know, it makes things more flavorable. It preserves things. In that time, it healed things. And what does light do? It lights things up. And Paul is saying to us, to you, if you know Christ, he has made you to be a light in this city. So (laughs) some of you are like, yeah, I'm a light, you know, and you just love that idea. You're just missional. I had a friend in college who uh, we loved Charlie, but you know what we didn't love doing with Charlie? Going anywhere with Charlie. Because it wasn't that we didn't mind that Charlie loved people. It's just that he loved them so long. Like if we went to Walmart and we're like, like, okay, Charlie, we're going in to get lunch and then we're leaving. And we'd be out of the car just sitting there going, where's Charlie? And David would go, well, you know where Charlie is. He's in the produce aisle. He never got away from the bananas because he met a lady there and they started talking about bananas and how to know which one are good or not. And now she's crying and they're talking about Jesus. That was everywhere. That was everywhere we went. Every time we would pass somebody that even remotely looked like maybe they were in need, like if your car was broken down, you wanted Charlie. Charlie would always say, and this was his line, if I can't stop and help people when I've got no place to go, if I'm not in a hurry, how can I actually stop and help people when I'm in a hurry? And I said, it's easy, Charlie. You just keep on driving. You just... Some of you like that. Some of you, like this is just... This right here, I'm just, I'm fanning a flame that's already blazing in your life. You're just a missional person. You always think about people. You always think about how to express the salt and life of Christ in your life and the world that you live in. You always do. You know, you're thinking about the mission field. Like you love the idea of going on mission trips. Like that just gets you really excited. You spend all your money doing that kind of stuff. Some of you like are adopting kids and fostering kids and having fundraisers for like micro loan companies in third world countries. Like you think about how to leverage everything in your life as a representative of the kingdom of God and to bring light into this world. You have this idea that life is short and I've been given gifts and these gifts are not to be hoarded. They're not to be kept and not just be used for my own comfort, but I'm being sent on an adventure on this mission and I am ready to go. And some of you, like, you are so into go that it, the rest of us are avoiding you a little bit. All right? Let's just be honest. You know, I could go through the whole list of people in this room that are goers. Um, But you know what? Some of you in this room, you're not really a goer. Some of you are kind of, I want to know. And so you're an information collector. So you come to church and you hear me talk about the Bible and you study the Bible and maybe you're part of a Bible study and you're collecting information and you've convinced yourself that if I know, if I know enough, then I'll go. 
That's beautiful, except the Bible is challenging you. In Philemon chapter 1, verse 6, this is the slave owner that owned Onesimus that we're going to talk about in a minute. Paul says, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. This is going. I pray that the sharing of your faith going may become effective for what? People would come to know the Lord. No, he says that you would know the full knowledge of every good thing that is for us in Christ. In other words, what Philemon is saying is you're not going to know until you go. And when you go, you're going to know. But if you know chapter 1 through 3 in Colossians, then more than likely you're going to go. You have to decide which category are you in. Are you the one that knows and now you need to go? Or are you the one that goes so that you can know? Okay, I'm confused now. <laughs> Let me put it this way. Some of you are not going to know until you go. And going is a step of faith. And who is he calling us to? What is missions? Well, sometimes if I keep it up here, it's going to keep us all safe. Like if I say, well, we're, you know, God may be calling you to a third world country or he may be calling you, you know, to a part of Nashville that you've never been to before. And that all kind of seems theoretical now. And I'm going to stop because we, we are the church. And I want, we're just going to stop and I want you to be quiet for a minute and ask yourself, has God brought somebody into your life? Somebody that you know, if they experience Jesus like you experience Jesus, it would change their life. Somebody maybe that doesn't know the Lord or somebody that knows the Lord, but their own faith has become stagnant and stale and they're discouraged and they seem very far away from the Lord, even though the Lord is closer to them and they realize? Is there somebody in your life that you can put a name on? Take your pencil. And I want you to take that piece of paper and I want you to write their name on that piece of paper. Would you do that? If you're sitting here going, I don't know anybody, I want you to put your name on that piece of paper. So you're either putting somebody else that you know, hey, that's, I know the Lord has put somebody in my life that he wants me to be salt to. And if you don't know, and I don't mean this in a shame way at all, because this missional thing, has the church has used it to shame and beat people up for way too long, and we're not going to do that here. But honestly, you may be your mission. You may, if you don't know anybody, then you may have to stop and ask yourself, what do I know? And how do I become somebody's mission? You got the name? No cheaters, all right? If you have to write the name of the person sitting next to you, just write it in code, all right? <laughs> I want you to keep that name because we're going to come back to it in just a little bit. Now let's jump into the passage because there are two things. If you're going to go on mission, Paul gives us two clues of things that we need. The first thing he says, he says it multiple times in the first couple of verses, pray, 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 pray. You know what's crazy about prayer? Prayer, talking about prayer in church 
is it is the most easiest way. Is that, is that proper English? Most easiest way to produce shame. Because I could ask this one question. Do you pray enough? There's not a person in this room that would go, yes, I pray enough. We all feel like we're deficient when it comes to prayer. We always, we, we feel like, you know, man, I should be doing more of it or I could be doing more of it. And then we read passages like 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Have you ever heard this passage of scripture where it says pray without ceasing? Meaning pray all the time. Not some of the time, but all the time. And you read that and you immediately realize that's not the reality of your life. And you begin to wonder, does Jesus know that Paul wrote that in 1 Thessalonians? Like, that just doesn't seem feasible when I'm ordering, you know, Baja burrito. Am I supposed to be praying? Like I pray before I eat it, but like, am I praying while I'm ordering it? And when I'm in line and they're making it and they're going, do you want more jalapenos? Is that a prayer? Do I, just a minute. Let me, Jesus is that jalapenos. Yes. Yes. We want more jalapenos. Or when you're watching UT football, like, do you pray? Okay. That's not fair. Is it? We know you pray. We know <laughs> without ceasing. <laughs> Lord. But you see what I'm saying is that, that what if, if prayer, if my language with prayer and my existence and my experience with prayer is full of a bunch of oughts, I ought to be a better prayer or should. I sh- I'm a good Christian. I should pray more. You know, those two words, ought and should, they're shame producers. And you know what I do with things that are shameful? I stay away from them. If I got this idea that God's in heaven and he's got his arms folded and he's looking down at me and he goes, man, Randy, you're a preacher. And it is sad how much you pray and how much you don't pray. And God is just kind of that disappointed father that's at a faraway distance. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to avoid that disappointed father. I don't want to be near him. Are you kidding me? I know what you think about me because I know what I think about me. And so prayer becomes this, this tool to drive us away from the very thing that prayer was intended to do. Because uh, let's, let's change the conversation. What, what if prayer, the only word I could come up with when I was praying about this is what if prayer is seduction? What seduces you? Like, what I mean is, aren't we seduced by the things that we have desire for? Like, if you despise something, what are the chances you can be seduced into it? Like, I, I am never seduced to eat broccoli. I don't care what you do to it. I, there is no threat of me ever falling into the sin, and it is sin to eat broccoli. It's in Leviticus. Trust me. Thank you. And you know what's just like broccoli, but worse is kale. I'm sorry. You see what I'm saying is that there's nothing inside of me. I don't care, you know? And you say, oh, Renee, my wife loves broccoli. And she goes, but let me fix it this way. I'm like, I don't care how you fix it. Maybe you put ice cream on it and I'll, I'll be for it. But, but what if prayer is a seduction? And, and what it's seducing is that there is a deep There is a deep desire in our hearts that exists below the surface of so much of my day to day. 
in Psalm, let's see, it's in Psalm 63. It says, my soul thirsts for the Lord. Is that true? Like, does your soul thirst for the Lord? Is it possible that we're so far away from the thirst that we don't even recognize it anymore? And so we try to pour on this thirst all kinds of stuff from success to money to experiences to people liking me to even going to church. And underneath that really is this deep, deep thirst for the Lord. And if I get so far away from it, imagine the Lord going, I know that's in you and I'm going to seduce it out of you. Do you know in Revelation chapter 3, this is Jesus, and he's talking to the church, and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Uh, just think about that for a second, that Jesus is saying to the church, to us, to those of us that know him, that Christ is in us, the hope of glory, that Jesus is standing at the door and he's knocking. And he says, If you will let me in, if you will let me in, what if, and let's just change our category, what if all prayer is not some kind of currency exchange to where if I pray enough, God's going to do enough? Or if I pray this way, that God's going to show power? Or he's going to answer my prayer? What if prayer, in fact, was an invitation and always a response to the Holy Spirit that is seducing me into the deepest desires of my heart? Do you know Isaiah 30 This is what the Lord said. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and in trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. No, we will flee on horses is what you say. Therefore, you will flee. We will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. It's this picture of I won't stop. I won't stop and let myself be caught I won't stop and let myself be found. So I get on my horse of busyness. Let's go. And I ride as hard as I can. And as hard as I ride, I can never outrun me. Me is always quicker than my ability to outrun it. So let me give you an example. In Romans chapter 8, boy, you ought to go read it sometime. Maybe this afternoon. It says that Jesus is interceding for you night and day. He's doing that. Jesus is praying without ceasing. And then a few verses later, it says the Holy Spirit is actually interceding for you also with groans too deep for understanding. So look what's happening. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are constantly fulfilling 1 Thessalonians where it says pray without ceasing. And is it possible that what Jesus is calling us to is to join the party? That if prayer is an invitation, I'm being invited into this, this concert of prayer that has already taken place. And let me tell you why that's important. Are you all with me? Yeah, okay. Let me tell you why it's important. Because uh, if I don't understand that, when I talk about mission, Jesus becomes a mob boss. Yo, Joey, I need you to go down to the river and take care of some business. But you know what Joey does? Joey goes alone. The mob boss doesn't go with him. If I don't understand that prayer is an invitation into the presence of the Savior that says, hey, I just want to be with you. And I just want you to be with me. Then I'm never going to understand that when he calls me into the world, he's not calling me into the world to go do something spectacular for him. As if Jesus needs me to do anything for him. 
He doesn't need me. But here's the cool thing is he puts his arm out and he says, come on, let's go. And I go, where are we going? We're, we're, going, we're going out to the world. Why? Because you need to know who you are. You need to know who you are. Okay? And you need to know more about who I am. And, and in this little, this little circle of prayer that we're in right now, you're not going to fully understand that. But we got to go out. We got to go out into the world where it's messy and it's bloody and it needs light and needs salt because that's what I made you to be. But you're not going to know it in here. Come on, let's go. We're going together. So the first thing that we need to know, if we're going to actually take Paul's challenge to be light and to be salt in this world, we need to be prayers. We need to know the power of prayer. And prayer is powerful, not because you're a powerful prayer. Prayer is powerful because Jesus is powerful and that's who we pray to. But he also said, uh, you shouldn't go alone. In fact, um, I would highly recommend that uh, you being alone is is a dangerous thing. In fact, um, you should have a squad. And in this last passage of scripture, Paul is showing us his crew, his squad. And what about you? And I'm going to tell you, when I ask you, who is your squad I have a theory that we develop a community of friends based on mission. And what is your mission? Like if all your friends are school teachers, there's probably a good chance you're a school teacher. You all are on the same mission. Or if you are like a bowling fanatic, chances are some of your closest friends are bowling fanatics. Weird but true, all right? Some of you are like putt-putt fanatics, golf, whatever. And is it possible that the community that you have around you is not by accident, but it actually is intentional and you didn't realize it? And Paul is calling us to have intentionality to the community of people that we build around us that help us deeper understand the mission that we've been called on. This is Richard Ploss and James Cofield wrote a book called The Relational Soul, which I really, if you, if you want something to read over the holidays because your parents are driving you crazy, you should go get this. It says, he says, soulful relationships are a gift anchored in our life in Christ, but this gift doesn't appear out of thin air. It comes to us when we make room for it. To put it another way, soulful relationships are a gift that requires intentionality. And what we see in these men is Paul is incredibly intentional about the community of people that he has surrounded himself. And he's challenging us to consider the same. So can we look at these guys? All right, so let's, let's take a look at these because uh, these are some interesting characters. There's Tychicus, he's the first. And Tychicus, what we know about this guy was that, man, he is one faithful dude. This is the guy that is up to doing anything. You need me to clean toilets? I got it. You need me to go run an errand to the grocery store? I got it. Ticketus was the guy that Paul would write a letter to Ephesus, for example, and he would give it to Ticketus and go, I need, you to, I need you to travel for the next four months to get to Ephesus and bring this letter to him. Ticketus like, I'm on it. I'm on it. He gets there. He delivers the message. You got any questions? Uh, let me know. I'm heading back to Paul. And he constantly delivered the messages for Paul. Ticketus is the kind of friend that when your car breaks down in the middle of the night and you're going through all your friends trying to figure out who you're going to call to come and get you, 
and uh, you're weighing out the options based on how they're gonna respond when you say, hey, my car broke down, can you drive across town? Ticketus was the guy who was like, I'm so glad you called me. I so wanna get out of bed and go help you. Like that kind of guy that's willing to roll up his sleeves and jump in. He's the kind of guy that uh, is the last person to leave a party because he wants to make sure that you're not left doing all the dishes by yourself. Then there's Onesimus. Onesimus, boy, what a messy dude he was. Onesimus was a slave who had said, I've had enough of this. I'm fed up with living under the thumb of my master. And he plotted his escape and actually uh, fled to Rome, to the big city of Rome. He's going to live this big life now. And uh, he was going to live life on his own terms, in his own way. He was going to be a fugitive, an outlaw, you know, just a Billy the Kid, live by his wits. And lo and behold, he stumbles across a crowd of people that are listening to a goober up on the stage talk about something, and he draws near, and it's the Apostle Paul who's standing in the public square preaching, and Onesimus comes under conviction of the Holy Spirit and becomes a believer. (laughs) Paul takes him in. Paul, actually, he's still a runaway slave. He's an outlaw. And Paul pours his heart into this guy and even wrote a letter that's in the Bible back to his slave master. Do you have anybody in your life like that? Somebody who it's hard, they're hard to explain to your other friends. So I have a friend that um, eight and a half years ago, I married him and his wife. And shortly after I married him, he went to prison for eight years. And he just recently got out of prison and he went to prison for stuff he did. He committed the crime and he went and did the time. And uh, here's what's crazy about my friend (laughs) is that uh, while he went into prison, we started to correspond and God was doing a tremendous work in his heart and he became a, a preacher in prison. Like he started leading people to the Lord. And I know this sounds so New Testament, but even guards were coming to faith because of his testimony of Christ. I thought it was crazy. Like he kept re- writing me letters going, hey man, send me your commentaries on this book and this book and this book. And I would just, these care packages I'm constantly sending him. And by the way, I never got any of those books back. And I, I really am kind of resenting that. I've got some bitterness in my heart about that. But he's the kind of guy like, uh, that is just his story. If I brought him up here, you would all just be riveted by his story because it is a messy story. In other words, he is the guy that if you walk down a dark alley, you want him with you because he used to live in the dark alley and he knows what's down there. Boy, we need some guys like that, don't we? There is Aristarchus. Aristarchus, um, what we know about this guy was that he, uh, he's the guy that's in all your picks. Somehow or another, every picture you take, that person is somewhere in there because they are not just faithful, but they're willing to be with you in everything. This is your Samwise. This is the person who looks at you and says, I can't carry your burden, but I can carry you. Because Aristarchus, this is the guy that he was with Paul when he was in Ephesus. 
and the riots broke out and they were both thrown into prison. This is the guy that when they were on the ship that shipwrecked and they landed on the island, they couldn't believe they survived. He was with them on that shipwreck. He was there when Paul got bit by the snake and it was certain that Paul was going to die. And currently, while they're writing this, he's also in chains with Paul. He's that friend that when conversation is over, you know, when you just don't really have anything to talk about and you're just kind of sitting there looking at the fire and they do this. Hey, remember the time? And you guys relive a history and moment and laugh as if you'd never heard it before. Then there was good old Mark. Am I boring you guys? You with me? You with me? Here we go. Mark. Let me tell you who Mark is. Uh, the guy that started Paul's ministry is a guy named Barnabas. And Barnabas was called the son of encouragement. And he traveled and found Paul and said, hey, you need to get off the sidelines and get into the game. Come on, you're going to go with me. We're going to go in the game. He started his ministry. And when they went on their first missionary journey, Paul, Barnabas said, wait, I got to go get my cousin Mark. He's going to go with us. Paul's like, good, good, all right, bring them. And they get on their missionary journey and about halfway through that missionary journey, Mark says, you guys are crazy. And this is crazy. I'm done with this. And he left them. Like he bailed on the apostle Paul. I'm sure Jesus was ticked. And uh, so they're, they're ramping up for their second missionary journey. And Paul calls Barnabas and says, you ready to go? And he goes, I'm ready, man. And he goes, look who I got here. And in walks Mark. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. He ain't going with us. Well, I know what happened last time. He bailed on us. He's lost his right to travel with me. And Barnabas said, hey, dude, he's my cousin. Like, we're blood. Like, I trust him. He's changed. He's a new man. Paul said, uh, no, no. And Paul and Barnabas, who were friends to the core, clashed. And Barnabas looked at Paul and said, if he doesn't go, I don't go. You know what Paul the guy who wrote half the Bible said, fine. <laughs> he has a friend that knows repentance. He knows forgiveness and his redemption because here we are years later and Mark is now a part of Paul's life. And then there's Epaphras. Epaphras is just insane, dude. This Epaphras is the guy that started the church in Colossae and then traveled six months to Rome. And when he got to Rome to find Paul, he was nearly dead. Like the scripture says that he almost died on this journey to come to Paul and say, we need your help. This is the guy that, uh, that whatever the price he's willing to pay it, whatever cost he's going to lay the money down. He's that friend that comes to you like in college and it's like eight o'clock at night. And he says, Hey, one of our buddies went home for the weekend and his girlfriend dumped him. And he's in a miserable place. We need to go see him. And you go, what? He's 10 hours away. I know we'll be there for breakfast. Let's go. That's, that's Epaphras. Like, it doesn't matter. This is the guy that's going to say, we got to go. We got to jump in the car. We got to get there. And then there was Luke. Luke was the doctor. He was the historian. He was the intellectual. Him and Paul probably sat around and had conversations that nobody could understand. Like, y'all are so deep. We don't even know what you're talking about. They probably sat there and debated about what to call the books of the Bible they were writing, you know? The letters to Colossae. Should we call it Colossians? I don't know. Where did you get the word Hebrew, Luke? That was funny to me. I... <laughs> 
I, I am falling apart inside right now. <laughs> and then there was Demas. Have y'all ever heard of Demas? Anybody here? Raise your hand if you've heard of Demas before today. I got one person. The reason you've not heard of Demas is because Demas loved this world too much and abandoned the faith. That's what we find out in, in the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy, that Demas, a part of the crew, said, I'm done with this and I don't believe in this anymore. I'm gone. And I think that, that the Lord put this in here to say, if you're going to build a crew because you're going to understand who you are in Christ and you're going to live out the reality in your home and even in the world, you're going to need people and you're going to need prayer. But when you do it, somebody's going to crush your heart. I promise you, there's no way that you can get to the end of your life and not have a story of someone who betrayed you, turned their back on you, or broke your spirit, or came in and said, I love you, and gave you the kiss of a brother, only to stab you in the back. It's going to happen. And you can't live your life as if that's not going to happen, but you can't live your life as if you're afraid of that happening, only knowing that that's a reality. It's a ragtag group of misfit warriors the trustworthy friend, Ticketus, the radical convert, Onesimus, the brother that is a storyteller, Aristarchus, the passionate friend, Epaphras, the redeemed friend, Mark, the colleague friend, Dr. Luke, and the heartbreaker, Demas. So I'm almost done. Because here's my question. Who's your crew? Are you intentionally building a crew because of who you are and who Jesus has made you to be? So here's the simple challenge that I'm going to give you. That name that you put on that card, I got, I got a couple of challenges for you. First, um, would you put it somewhere in your life? Um, someone earlier recommended that you uh, use a rubber band and attach it to your toothbrush. Something you touch every day that you would pray for that person every day. You would pray also that God would give you an opportunity to go. Because we love these people. We're looking for God to open doors for us to be salt and light in that person's life. That you would pray for those two things. And then third, here's the big challenge. And this one is like squeezing toothpaste out of the tube. You're not going to be able to get it back in once you do it that you would call somebody from your crew, somebody from your crew and go, here's the challenge God has put on my heart to pray for and be ready to go when God opens the door for this person. And would you pray with me? And the reason I say that takes the toothpaste out of the tube is because there is something dangerous about saying it out loud. Because let me tell you what's really easy for you to do right now because I have sat in your seat and that is to fold up that piece of paper, stick it in your pocket and on the ride to lunch, go, what'd you think about the sermon today? That was good. What do you want to do this afternoon? And it's gone. When it may be the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to know me and I want you to know you. But the only way you're going to do it is if you go. So we're about to worship, but remember, here are the three challenges. 
And I'm asking you to make a decision today. Are you willing to do that? To be salt and light, not in the world, in your world, with one person. Pray for them. Pray God would open the doors to go with them and tell somebody that you're on mission with about it and ask them to pray. Because when you tell somebody that you're, if you, if I send you home with a third challenge and you go, I don't have anybody to call that would even care about that. I don't have anybody to call that if I told them, hey, would you pray for me and this friend, that I would be embarrassed to tell them. That means you got a pretty weak crew. And maybe you need to get intentional about building some people into your life that are on mission with you because of what's happened in their lives because of Jesus. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you that if I stopped right now, there's probably not a person in this room that couldn't name somebody that you sent to be on mission with us. I think about LaVon and Noel and Rodney, the men that you sent to me, men that didn't despise the challenge, but were eager to be a part of what you were doing in my life. I don't know, Lord, what name the people in this room would have, but they've got it because you love to use people. In fact, it's the way you work. God, I pray you slow us down enough to see you, be with you, slow us down enough to see ourselves, to be with ourselves, and slow us down enough to be inconvenienced and to care for and to love the person that we put down on that piece of paper, even if it's ourselves. Lead us, Father. Give us courage to go. In Christ's name, amen.